Blog Talk Radio. Episode 15 of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I am Michael Miles, co-editor at Redbird Rants, and you are in for a really special treat tonight. We will have on the show tonight Trevor Hoof and Nathan Grime, and even though we said Brendan Voigt was going to be our host, he actually is not. But we have a very special host tonight. Tonight, stepping into the hosting duties is our great contributor, who has joined in on the podcast all the time, Josh McDonald. Josh, I'm going to speak to you first. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, man, it is it is really good. It's going to be so much fun to have you host and step in. So exciting. Well, let's see how it goes before we say all that. Well, the other alternative but I'm hoping was keto. And so, we can't know, have I mean, that. Yeah, the bar is set pretty low. You know, Tito is supposed to be uh, out of town on a little anniversary trip with his wife, but who knows if that's even accurate. Who knows if he's even married? Yeah, it's true. It's true. He could be catfishing us all. Uh, Trevor, how are you? Are you there, Trevor? Uh, Hello? Oh, there you go. Okay, just making sure the call dropped right at the beginning, but I'm here, ready to go. Well, you know, I think it automatically dropped you since you write about the Brewers now. That might have been it. It really could be. And Nathan, how are you tonight? Doing well. All right, so listen, guys, I'm going to hand this over to Josh and let him run away with it, and I'll be your Jim Jackson sitting back here engineering the show. You guys have a fantastic show. Just a special thanks to you, Josh, for stepping in and serving in the host duties for this week. So kick it Happy off. to do have it. Have a great time. Have a great time. I, I'm now going into engineering mode. Here you go. All right, Nathan, Trevor, thanks for joining me tonight. Let's just get right into it and avoid any chances of me messing up early. Uh, the second <laughs> half of the season is underway, and it seems that the break was not kind to some members of this team. Let's start with the first series uh, that when we came back with the Pirates. Before it even begins, Grichuk finds himself in the DL. Piscotty joins him just a few days later, and the team loses two heartbreakers in the ninth. Nathan, let's start with you. What do you take away from the first series of the second half? Well, the bullpen is obviously to blame for the two losses. They took the two losses. There still seems to be turbulence. At the back end, you don't know on you know what given day who's going to pitch your eighth inning, who's going to pitch your ninth inning, and that's really really hurting the Cardinals lately. But it has been plaguing them all season. Um, I wrote a piece a couple of days ago. Seems like I write a piece on the bullpen, you know, every other week, um, you know, this season because it's been it's been a sore spot since April really for the Cardinals. And you know, the Pittsburgh series was just a continuation of that. Um, Obviously, uh, you've got to be firing on all cylinders to get into winning mode. And the Pirates are a team on the rise, too. They've just surpassed the Cardinals, now in third place, 
They're off to a good start in the second half, and really they've had a, a you know a solid you know two months of baseball. If you go back and look at you know how how they've done in June and July after their slow start to the year, so the you know the offense didn't show up the way we'd like it to. Um, the injuries to Grichik and Scotty will you know create some uncertainty in that lineup, but it seems like they'll be back uh, before too long. The starting pitching wasn't too bad in the Pittsburgh series either. But, um, you know, one through five, I don't think the rotation is as solid as it's been, early, you know, as it was earlier in the season. But, you know, you can score runs, you can keep runs off the board in the early innings. But if the bullpen can't get the job done, then you're not going to win series. And that's what happened in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, the addition of Starling Marte looks like that's been uh, a nice addition for them, getting him back. People kind of seem to forget about them right away, but they've stayed close in this. Uh, this uh, terrible in El Central. Trevor, what do you have to say about the first series? I'm glad you mentioned Starling Marte because they do they did get him back, and that obviously could have energized them, and they have been on the rise. Although Starling Marte did only contribute, I think, two hits the whole series. Um, but it's just going to be along the same lines that the bullpen is is very questionable right now. A lot of the guys you're supposed to rely on in the back end, uh, like O and Cecil did not do well um, since the break. Cecil's at a 6.75 ERA and, and O's above 20 right now. Obviously, that's not a whole lot of innings, but it's still not what you want from the guys you're supposed to be able to rely on. Um, uh, Trevor Rosenthal, though, three games, hasn't given up a run yet since the All-Star break, uh, 15K per nine. So he's starting to look like, you know, maybe you can rely on him, but we've seen that before, too. So it's just needing to figure out that bullpen, and they'll be able to bounce uh, bounce back a little bit and hopefully get on a winning streak. Speaking of the bullpen, what do you guys think about what seems to be the musical chairs of what inning to put guys into? I I was shocked when Brett Cecil started closing games because he had he had found himself a niche and he had become the pitcher everybody wanted to, but then they make the change and he starts to struggle. Do you think the change in innings has any effect on how his pitching has been in the second half? It's not a whole lot of innings so far. second half has just begun. Um, he went out in the ninth inning uh, the first time. He obviously he blew that, took the loss, and then he went out again, he got the save. So maybe that was a growing pain. Um, but I don't know if he should be in the back end. Beginning of the year, I would have made the argument that he should be looked at at least. But you're right, he did he did find what he should be doing. He was succeeding. Obviously, with O struggling, you need to find something. And uh, I think we've written about uh, John Brebbia getting a chance, uh, Trevor Rosenthal if he's hot. Right now, it seems like they just need to try to ride the hot hand to see who can stay there and close out games. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Uh, as far as, you know, using Brett Cecil as to close out games, I don't think that was ever really a long-term um, plan of Mike Messini's. Yes, he had him um, in the ninth inning in, in back-to-back uh, days, Sunday and then Monday against the Mets as well. He did close out that game Monday, but I think that was more of a situation of, you know, who do we have rested and, you know, who gives us the best chance to win, obviously the blown save. Sunday um, for Cecil, but then you see him in the eighth inning just uh, earlier this afternoon in the in the loss to the Mets. He you know gave up a game tying home run in the eighth inning. So you know whether he's in the ninth inning or the eighth inning, if he's not pitching well, you know that's going to hurt the team either way. So two blown saves in three opportunities for Brett Cecil after the after the break, that doesn't give you much confidence you know in him in that back end of the bullpen. 
um, which is a, which would be a shame because he actually did have a pretty good month of June and then July before the All Star break. He was putting together a strong um, strong streak of appearances, and if they can't rely on Cecil, you know that makes a troubled bullpen, you know, look even more of a mess because of you know someone oh not reliable in the ninth inning. Trevor Rosenthal, he had a good couple of appearances as Trevor as Trevor mentioned, but he did take the loss today in the ninth. And, you know, command seems to be still an issue for him at times. As far as changing up roles, I like the idea of giving a guy like John Brebbio a chance because if the Cardinals still feel like they're in the mix and they're about five games out right now in fourth place, but five games out, you, I mean, you've got to go with, with who's going to give you the best chance on any given day. And they've been rotating O and Rosenthal all season, and they still have not found the right combination to get a sustained streak of winning and just a sustained streak of success for the bullpen. We just haven't had that all season. So giving a guy like Brebbia who's pitched well, ERA, you know, under two, he had three scoreless innings the other day against the Mets. You know, I'm ready to make that, to take that chance and just see how it goes. Mike Matheny seems to have his favorites. He always does. But what do you guys make of Brebbia and Chewy having Great stats, but getting very rare use. They they aren't getting any high leverage situations. They're only really ever in and like mop up duty. So what do you what do you think they have to do to become focal points of the bullpen? You know, I think it's just one of those scenarios where they're both young guys. Brebby is a rookie, so Matheny hasn't you know had the chance to see him before this year. Tui's been used very sparingly in years, you know, actually the most appearances he's had at the major league level this season so far this this year. But I just don't think they're yet in that category that Matheny, you know, whether fairly or not, feels like he can trust them to throw them into late inning fire, which, you know, which is odd because if you look at their stuff, they have stuff that is, that is you know, um, premier for a late inning reliever. They've both got mid to high 90s fastballs. Tui, Tui has improved his curveball, you know, a lot over from last season to this season. He's been using that effectively this year. And then Brebby has got a really good slider too. So, I mean, that's, that's what you need as a late-inning reliever in the league these days. A, you know, a high-octane fastball and then a wipeout breaking ball or off-speed pitch. And they've both got it. And they've both pitched well. Um, I just think time is probably what it'll take. You know, if they can continue to pitch well in whatever roles they're going to be in, and maybe in the future they get a look. Um, but it doesn't seem at this point that, you know, either Brebby or Tui, Brebby or Tui is going to be a late-inning guy for Mike Matheny should that need arise, you know, tomorrow. I think he's probably just going to stick with the guys he's stuck with. And, you know, quite frankly, that's just been hurting the team more than helping it. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is going to take time for them to earn the trust of Matheny, even if they've been pitching well. Uh, they just need to keep going out and doing it. But the thing is, this is a very critical time in the year because Pirates and Cubs are on the rise, and the Brewers lost their first series after the break. They actually, I think, uh, they got swept. So this is a time when the, the Cardinals need to figure out what to do with that bullpen. And if the guys are playing well, I think Matheny needs to, you know, just pony up and take a chance on someone he might not trust as much because they have been pitching well instead of sticking with the guys who he seems to like and and the guys who are struggling. All right, well, let's fast forward to the four-game set with the Mets that ended the day. The Cardinals split, not the end of the world, but it was a fairly ugly split. Let me pose this question to both of you. 
One of the parts of this team that has seemingly been working is the offense. The Cardinals' one-two-three of Carpenter, Fam, and Fowler seems to be the way the team plans to keep things going forward, barring a move. Is this the best they can put forward, and are they using all three the best they can? Let's start with you, Trevor. Uh, this is definitely something they have to go forward with. Um, they, this is, I mean, we've talked about this a ton, especially when it first started to happen. This is where the guys are hitting well. Um, whatever it is that where they're hitting in the in the lineup, whether it's a it's a mindset, whatever it is, you know they like runners on base. It's working. So um, if it you move Carpenter to the leadoff spot, he starts to hit better. You move uh, Fowler down to the third spot, the offense is clicking. And to move away from that uh, would not would not be smart. So I, I definitely think they need to stick with it because it is working. Yeah, I think given the makeup of the offense and the roster is the best they can do. When you compare that to other one, two, threes in the league, other teams in the National League especially that are, you know, destined for the playoffs, Matt Carpenter, Tommy Pham, and Dexter Fowler don't really jump off the page as a lethal one, two, three combination. And they're all having decent years. Tommy Pham's obviously been the best hitter over the entire course of the season among the three um, so you could you could have the debate about maybe moving him to the three-hole, but then your two-hitter would probably be Dexter Fowler anyways, so I'm not sure how much of a difference it would really make just to shuffle those um, those two pieces. Carpenter, as you know, Trevor said, is pretty much there to stay at the top of the lineup. And that one through three, for, for the Cardinals, it has been the best portion of their lineup as of late. But I think when you just compare that to other, you know, high-flying offenses in the league, you kind of start to realize that, you know, maybe this is the best the Cardinals can do with what they have. But, you know, it does scream that need for a true number three hitter, which has been a topic of conversation as of late. And, you know, as I said, the Cardinals one, two, three just doesn't really stack up to premier offensive teams around the league. Well, since Stephen Biscotti found himself on the disabled list, Magnaris Sierra uh, made his way back to the team, and that seems to have excited fans, especially some some of us here at Redbird Ranch. He seems to be a favorite. Clearly, he brings an extra dimension to this team. What do you guys expect going forward from him, especially when Grichuk and Piscotti return from their stints on the disabled list? Well, uh, Sierra is, is probably my favorite hitting prospect. Well, I can't say that because Carson Kelly uh, projects really well, but I I like Sierra a lot better than I like Bader as far as uh, outfield prospects go. And he's gotten called up the first time. It was, you know, a surprise at a double A and he's been hitting the ball pretty well. I, I expect him to get sent down once Grinchick and Piscotty come back, but it's, it's not going to be an easy one to do. I mean, you look at his number since the all-star break, he's hitting 385. That's, that's obviously a good pace. He can't keep up, but, it's uh, he's certainly somebody I think is going to be very important moving forward. It's just a matter of how they want to handle him. Um, come up and Shoney can hit. I think he should stay up. I think he's he's deserved it. But the problem is the overcrowded outfield. Fam is playing really well. Once Piscotty comes back, you got to believe he's getting his position back. And of course, you have Dexter Fowler out there. So it might be better for him right now to move down. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with most of that. I think what will happen once either Grichik or Piscotty returns is he gets sent down, and that's just 
kind of, I guess, the logical roster move just because, you know, Gritchick and Piscotty haven't, haven't done too much to, to warrant them getting a demotion. Um, you know, we saw Gritchick get demoted earlier in the year, but it seems like the Cardinals do want to commit to him at the major league level in one way or another. Um, but if the Cardinals continue to struggle, if they are out of this race, you know, in the next week or so, and it's really hard to believe that, you know, they can just all of a sudden put it together and get back in this race, you know, I why not keep Magnaris here on the major league roster and just see what he can do with more playing time. Um, you know, I know once Grichik and Biscotti come back, you know, that probably doesn't mean Sierra is starting every single day, but he could be a viable pinch running option, you know, at, at, at least in a late inning defensive option as well, because, you know, his speed and his defense are there, you know, at the major league level, he's the best defensive outfielder on that roster right now. And he's the fastest runner on that roster right now. But if the Cardinals aren't, you know, if they don't see a way to October in the next couple of weeks, why not give some of these young guys a try? Especially if, you know, that also means they don't make a move for an outfield bat because that, that would, of course, you know, just complicate the roster even more. The, the outfield's already crowded as it is. You know, it took two starting outfielders to land on the disabled list for Sierra to even, you know, get, get the call back up. But, you know, I don't see the harm in, you know, keeping him up, especially if the Cardinals aren't really going to be all that competitive moving forward this season. Well, and if they aren't competitive, that also um, him playing so well also opens up the option to maybe shop around some of the outfielders. I know yeah, the value exactly. may not you know be huge in them, but you uh, it's almost a good thing to have an overcrowded outfield if they're going to be out of the race or if they're in it. You know, you get the best players out there, or you can try to get some value for some of the guys and still have decent options out there. Yeah, and I mean the thing is, the starting outfield is you know, Fowler, Gritchick, and Piscotti at the at the beginning of the season, you know, hasn't catapulted the Cardinals to first place, you know, here on July 20th. They're still a sub-500 team. So, yeah, they're the de facto starters, but, you know, compare that to the rest of the league, what, you know, winning teams are doing with their starting outfield, and, you know, you figure why not give some of these young guys in the Cardinals system a shot. Yeah, I have to agree with both of you. You, most, you both make really good points there. You know, if this team's not going to – not going to make a run, I think why not give some of these young guys these opportunities? You need to know what you have there. But let's talk about something exciting. It seems like we could use that after today. Michael Waka has been exceptional this month. But Tuesday night, he raised the bar even higher with his first career shutout. What do you guys make of Waka's performance last night and in the month of July overall? And are you at all concerned about his shoulder after he threw 120 pitches on Tuesday? Uh, Let's start with Nathan. Um, well, to answer the latter part of that question first, I don't think, you know, pitch count is always something that we watch with young pitchers, with pitchers with injury history. But, you know, as much as it pains me to say it, I think Tim McCarver actually made a really good point on that broadcast when he said, you know, pitch count is is not something you should be too concerned about if, the, you know, if he's throwing with high velocity, if his mechanics look good, if he's still pulling hitters during the ninth inning, which is what he was doing. You know, his hardest two pitches of the night, both 98-mile-per-hour fastball were in that ninth inning. So I thought Walker still looked free and easy in the ninth. Um, obviously, we don't know um, if any lingering effects are going to are gonna crop up here in the next few days, but I don't think you point to that 120-or-so pitch start and say, you know, this this you know caused Walker's you know, shoulder to relapse because he was pitching quite well. He wasn't up in the zone you know, where his arm's dragging. And these are all symptoms that he's mentioned in the past of, 
when that shoulder does go awry. Um, as far as Waka's good month, I think it's certainly, you know, kept him in that rotation because, you know, about a month ago we were talking about perhaps replacing him, you know, in that rotation spot because the Cardinals do have some good options in AAA. But I think Waka has solidified his spot moving forward and, it was good to see him go that nine innings because he's had some good starts where he goes six innings, five, six innings or so, and he keeps runs off four. But it was good to see Waka the efficient get out, you know, besides just striking guys out and keep that pitch count relatively low. You know, 120 isn't that bad for a nine-inning performance, you know. So it was good to see Waka finally get that first complete game shutout. That's obviously a benchmark for any starter in the major leagues, and hopefully he can just keep that going and, you know, go deep into games, something he hasn't really done much in his young career so far. Yeah, I mean, shoulder injuries are always something uh, to be worried about for pitchers, especially if they have one. You never know what's going to come back. Um, But as far as the pitch count goes, uh, just personal, I love this story with Justin Verlander. He throws 90 pitches a day. He's never had an arm problem. Um, or an arm injury, at least. So throwing the ball will help him uh, as as long as he's trained to throw. So pitch count's not something I generally worry about because that's what those guys do. Uh, as far as his his performance, he he did great, and I know that he had uh, a a pretty bad month of June, uh, five fifty five ERA for the month. But you look at what he's done overall this year. Even with that poor month, he still has an ERA of three seven one, and he has a seven and three record. So I think that we were calling for calling for him to be moved, but he's had a decent season so far, and I think that this month is really, uh, as was already said, solidifying him in that rotation. So, um, you know, I, it was great to see him do that, and uh, it was great to see him be able to ramp up the velocity in the late innings. And I think what will be critical for Waka moving forward as far as the rest of this season is concerned, the final two two months and change, um, will be his his outlook for next season in the rotation because I, you know, I hesitate to say that he's solidified his spot for next season already. Yes, he's pitched well this, this year, but he's always kind of been, you know, your de facto four or five starters. So if he can have an, a healthy and productive remainder of the season, that'll really increase his stock, you know, for the Cardinals in that rotation come this time next year because they do have multiple starting prospects waiting in the wings for 2018. All right, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, trade rumors. So join us right after the break. All right, we're back with the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm still joined by Nathan Grimes and Trevor Hoos. Guys, it is that time of the year, and the Cardinals have been attached to how many different people, but – Let's discuss a little bit. Let's start with the Marlins. The Cardinals have been attached to the Marlins off and on for a few weeks now, and reportedly Marlins scouts have been spotted in Springfield checking out some of our team's prospects. At different times, the entire Marlins outfield has been rumored to be on the move. Of the three, Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna, who do you like the most for the team? Who would make the biggest impact? And who would just bring the best overall, overall value? Nathan, we'll start with you. Of those three, I think the biggest impact would be Giancarlo Stan, and that you know is one, is the reason that I would like to see him most in a Cardinals uniform out of the three. 
the contract is is a monster, but the Cardinals do have a lot of money, you know, sitting around. I think they could they could you know manage that contract. I think you know that would probably tie them for you know a little bit as far as signing other free agents is concerned. But in today's game, if the Marlins could you know sign Stanton to that contract, I think the Cardinals, who you know who have you know a, a fairly big, fairly a large payroll each year. I think they could could pull that contract, um, but Stanton, unlike Yelich and Ozuna, he just brings power, 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 and more power. You know, yes, Yelich and Ozuna can you know hit home runs, but I would almost say they they could have the potential at least to be more complete offensive players. Whereas Stanton is just power guy. Yes, his batting average is you know around 270, which isn't isn't that bad, obviously. But in a Cardinals lineup where they don't have really a pure power guy, and they kind of have um, guys who are you know, more extra base on um, base types, you know, such as Matt Carpenter, Dexter Fowler, Tommy Pham, Stanton would stand out. He would immediately obviously become the best piece in the Cardinals lineup, as would, you know, Christian Yelich or Marcelo Zuna, I think. But, you know, the Cardinals have just been lacking that. You know, that's well documented that they've been lacking, you know, one of the better players in the league. I don't, you know, I think you'd have to go back to when Albert Pujols was on the team for the last time. You could say the Cardinals had one of the best you know, at least offensive pieces in the league. Um, that being said, I don't really see any, any three of these guys being on the moves to the Cardinals, and that's just because of the Cardinals' deficiencies this year and where they are. I don't see the front office going all in for one of these guys. If they landed Stanton, the thing is, because of that contract, it might not take, you know, many, if any, prospects to land him because it sounds like Miami is trying to just get that off, get that contract off the books. Yelich or Azuna, that would be a pricey deal for Miami, who's, you know, going into new ownership. They're going to be looking to rebuild that team from within, you know, like they've done in the past couple of years. So Stanton, you know, obviously the sexy pick for the Cardinals. I'm just not sure they make it happen. For me, um, the three questions you asked, the the biggest impact, who I, or who we want to see and, and most value, those are can be answered with a different name, each one. The biggest impact is obviously Stanton. Uh, for all the reasons that were just mentioned. I mean, the man just hits monster home runs, and he's actually having a, a season where he's hitting the ball a little better. He's uh, he's having He has a low strikeout percentage of, of his career so far. Um, the most value you're probably going to get from Yelich because he's got uh, a contract through 2021, and it's not as, as massive as Stanton's contract. You're not going to be paying him as much, and he's, he's a very solid bat. Um, but the guy I want to see is Ozuna. You think about what Ozuna can bring. Uh, if he gets traded to the Cardinals, he drops in and is already the clear leader in RBIs right now. That's Jed Jericho at 49. Ozuna has 70 on the year. Uh, but the stat that really jumps out to me is his 361 batting average and balls in play. He's getting the job done at the plate this year, and I think that um, if the Cardinals are looking for a bat to solidify the lineup, I think he would be the best bat out of the three um, just because uh, you want to see the team rebuild, and it's hard to do that with Stanton's contract. So uh, I want to see Ozuna. The only problem with him, he's got a year left on his contract, so it'd, have, it'd, be a, it'd probably be a rental unless they could re-sign him. Yeah, I'm a, I'm 100% on board with you there, Trevor. I love what Ozuna could bring to this team. Um, Stanton would be incredible, but there's there's too many questions, and you kind of handicap yourself a little bit with that contract, given they have the money for it, but you got to think long-term, this team's looking down the barrel of two years without the playoffs, and 
adding a $30 million contract might not be exactly what it needs. But what do you guys think it would take to bring in an impact bat to fill the middle of the order? Uh, Let's go. Trevor, you start us off. Well, all the reports have them, uh, have the Marlins sending scouts to watch Dakota Hudson. Uh, Dakota Hudson obviously was a uh, first round uh, compensation pick in 2016, but I don't think that he would be worth any of these guys. Uh, I'd rather keep Hudson if, if at all possible. Um, he, he had a shortened year his first year in because he pitched heavily in the college world series, but, but he did phenomenally that year. And this year, He's doing just as well. Um, he's, he made the jump from short A ball to double A this year, and he has a 2.77 ERA. Um, and he he may project as a middle of the rotation guy, which is what uh, MLB Pipeline usually says. But he's pitching like he's going to project higher than that. And uh, just based on what he's done in the minor leagues and the fact that his fastball can touch 97, tells me that he's somebody that the Cardinals want to keep. And I think that uh, they should give him a chance rather than just send him off to Miami, even though they're interested in him. Yeah, so Dakota Hudson is a guy that the Marlins have looked at. I also saw a report today that the Marlins had scouts at uh, watching Austin Gomber, who's also a double-A pitcher, a left-hander, you know, down in Springfield. I think to land one of these guys, it would take probably two pitching prospects and then a bat, an outfield prospect. And, you know, that kind of makes the Marlins-Cardinals match look even better because the Cardinals do have multiple pitching prospects in the pipeline, double-A and triple-A especially uh, guys that are, you know, only a year or two out probably from the major leagues. So that's appealing, you know, for the Marlins, I would think. And then also they have quite a few outfield prospects really in all levels. Um, and that would be appealing for the Marlins as well. If they're gonna, you know, if they're going to trade an outfield, I'm not sure what the Marlins farm system looks like in terms of the outfield position. But, I mean, they've got three thumpers there right now. So if they were to trade one, you would think they might try to um, eventually replace one of those guys with a current minor leaguer, and the Cardinals do have, you know, plenty of those as well. Um, so so the trade with the Marlins does, you know, it kind of makes sense why these rumors are swirling. Um, you know, a little side note I would want to add, Yelich, Ozuna, and Stanton are perhaps the best outfield in Major League Baseball. And, you know, any three of them would instantly become the best bat in the Cardinals lineup. So I'm just, you know, I'm just a little bit hesitant. If you were to add one, which would be exciting for the Cardinals, no doubt, you know, could that put the Cardinals over the top to then make the playoffs? Because the Marlins have three of these guys already, and they're not in position, you know, to be playing in October. Obviously, the Marlins have their own deficiencies besides, you know, aside from their high-octane offense, you know, their pitching staff isn't much, much to speak of, whereas the Cardinals have had some pretty decent starting pitching this year. But I think it just, you know, it, it's worth pointing out that while the Marlins have three of these guys, that would be the best in the Cardinals lineup. Um, I just wonder how much how much of an impact one of these guys could make, you know, around a, a pretty mediocre Cardinals lineup. Yeah, in in true Marlins fashion, it seems like they're gonna they're gonna waste what looks like it should be one of the best lineups in the National League because. JT Real Muto and Justin Bohr have also been great. They have D Gordon at second base. They they have a very solid team. They don't have the pitching, but the Marlins have been known to waste talent and then trade them off. Let's transition to the pitching staff, but we're going to focus on trade rumors for a little bit longer. 
Lance Lynn has been impressive lately. He was really solid again today and really deserved a W. Uh, But he's raised his trade value to to potentially the highest it has been and will ever be uh, going forward. Do you think today should have been his last? And if so, who would you like to see him replace if he is moved? Trevor? I don't see him going anywhere. Um, I know he tweeted out the other day that he's, you know, just trading him isn't going to get the power bat that the Cardinals want in the lineup, um, which, which, you know, kind of, or he says, I think, but it, it still made a statement there. And I think he's right. Uh, he's the current ERA leader on the team. So I don't really, I, he's got good, he's, his trade value is rising, but I don't see him moving at all. If he does, uh, the obvious choice to replace him is, uh, is Luke Weaver. Uh, he's got 12 starts in AAA this year with a 1.92 ERA and uh, 66 strikeouts and only 13 walks. So he's been very impressive at that level, and I think that he would be the one to come up uh, and replace him, especially since he is uh, the number two pitching prospect in the Cardinals organization. Of course, uh, Alex Reyes will probably slide in next year somewhere. Uh, unfortunate loss of him. So should he be moved, which I'm, I'm doubting, uh, Weaver should definitely get the opportunity to uh, slide into that rotation. Yeah, I find myself agreeing with Trevor as far as it looks, you know, more and more like perhaps the Cardinals won't move then. We haven't seen his name really in any, you know, substantial rumors connected to any specific teams or anything like that. Um, whether he would then be re-signed in the offseason is another another story. And, you know, it was reported today that, you know, Lynn's kind of thinking that he'll finish the season with the Cardinals, but then they'll let him walk. They'll let him, you know, sign somewhere else in free agency which doesn't really make much sense to me from, you know, the Cardinals organizational standpoint. I think given where they are this season and, you know, what they can realistically do in two months, um, I, why not trade Lance Lynn? I mean, he's probably the top piece on the major league roster right now that you could trade and bring in the most value. Um, that That is a tradable piece. Obviously the Cardinals aren't going to be, you know, actively shopping Carlos Martinez or anybody like that. But as far as, you know, what what would be a logical a logical decision, you know, come the trade deadline, I'm sure there's teams that are looking for starters. Yes, we haven't seen, you know, Lynn's name connected with anybody, but all he does is really go out there and pitch six, seven innings or so. And, you know, he's limited opponents to one or two runs in, you know, three, four of his last starts. Obviously, the home runs are a concern. He's given up a career high in home runs. Maybe that's making other teams hesitant. I did see, well, speaking of teams, I did see one report that the Kansas City Royals were perhaps interested in him. But aside from that, you haven't seen too much, and that just kind of makes you think maybe the Cardinals will just hold on to him for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I was going to mention the report about the Royals. If the Royals were to get involved for Lynn, it's it's interesting to look at because – what would they offer? Being that the pitching market seems kind of dwindled, Quintana on his on his way out of one part of Chicago to the other has kind of limited because it seems like a lot of teams are holding on to their pitchers. Outside of Lynn, the one you're hearing the most about is Sonny Gray, who is very comparable to Lance Lynn, and Lance Lynn tests out better when it comes to that, so you'd have to think that he could get a decent return um, there's got to be some more teams that that have called on him that we haven't heard about, right? You would think so. You would think so, teams. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you look at the teams who are interested in Sonny Gray right now. 
Um, the biggest name that's being connected to him and, and the team that's consistently being uh, said by, by Ken Rosenthal and, and I think John Heyman at one point that's in the front running is the Brewers. And obviously it's going to be very hard for them to get Lynn even if they want him because that's an in-division trade. Um, I, I, if Lynn goes anywhere, it's probably the best bet to the Royals. Uh, the other starting pitcher that I've heard rumors on is J.A. Happ. Um, but again, that's another – he's probably going to be overvalued a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of relief help out there, but with a thin starting uh, – so the thin starting herd uh, for the trade deadline, it seems like there should be more calls. However, I don't think that there are. Well, it looks like right now, a few days left before uh, things start to get a little, a little bit crazy. It's been surprising that we've had some moves so far, especially for a guy like Quintana being involved. So I'm sure we're going to see countless rumors going forward. Uh, Let's talk about this weekend real quick before we keep going into the rotation because this weekend seems like it's probably going to be a make-or-break series for this team. Going up three against uh, against the Cubs, this team could go from being right back in it to basically being done. If this team goes either way, if they sweep the Cubs somehow, do you want them to go all in and go for the division or – would you want them to just kind of be smart about it and say, we might be able to win this division, but what can we really do in the playoffs against these teams like Colorado, L.A., and Washington? Yeah, well, while it would be nice to see the Cardinals have success against the Cubs, you just don't really have that confidence right now. But if they do, you know, pull off a series victory or even a sweep, that would kind of almost just complicate things even more especially where the Cardinals are in the season right up to the trade deadline, because I think the series against the Mets, the split relation of the Cardinals this year, and you could even go back to 2016 in the up and down year they had, you know, they, they win the first two and look good while doing so, you know, they, they've got the offense there, the bullpen held up, starting pitching was excellent. And then right when you think they have that momentum, then they drop the next two. It ends up being a pretty disappointing series, at least just given how the series began. And the Cardinals just, besides that, hot streak at the end of April and into May have not had a sustained streak of winning ever since. So I don't think even if they would would sweep the Cubs, I don't think that necessarily drastically changes the outlook of the season. I think all it does is complicates the National League Central picture even more. But given that the Cubs have not lost a game since the All-Star break, it seems like they're starting to make that move that everybody had expected them to make months ago, it seems like. And the Brewers have lost five in a row now, too, so they're slipping. You know, I don't expect the Cardinals just to be able to, you know, win the series against the Cubs and kind of, you know, put Chicago back because Chicago's a team that I think is built for a run, a run of success and winning. You know, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to have that. I think starting pitching is probably what you would point at for the Cubs and an underachieving offense. Quintana now, and they've been rumored to be shopping for another arm so the Cubs are only going to get better. Yeah, they're working on it. They're the, I mean, they're the defending World Series champions, so their roster is ready for another playoff run. Um, I I agree that either way, regardless of what happens, I don't think it changes the outlook of the season. I think it would be better to play it smart just because of all the frustrations that have gone on this year. So regardless of what happens, I would still almost look for them to kind of build for the future and plan. I know – Recently, uh, 
the Yankees have been looking for a first baseman, and, and we've definitely written actually Tito, our, our uh, most ridiculed writer, or our most ridiculed writer, wrote about Matt Carpenter possibly going there. That could be something to look into. I know the uh, the Yankees just lost some of their prospects to uh, injury with Glaber Torres, and then they just traded a bunch to uh, the White Sox to get uh, Todd Frazier. But they're you know if they're still looking, it's possible that some of these guys could be on the move because I don't think the Cardinals are going to want to just say, okay, it's a weak division. Let's let's sell some of our or let's buy some talent, get rid of some of our prospects for the future, and lose in the playoffs. In, you know, early in the playoffs. So I think that regardless of what happens, it'd be great to win against the Cubs, but either way, it seems like the smart move would be to plan for the future, especially with the NL um, achieving like it is right now outside of the Central. Right, right. And even with the outlook for this season, you know, if it isn't a postseason outlook, that doesn't mean the Cardinals can't still, you know, shake things up around the deadline. They don't only have to stand pat or just maybe move a landslide and kind of just, you know, try to, prospects, if they're going to, you know, move a guy like Matt Carpenter, let's just say they move him to the Yankees. I don't really foresee that happening, but it's a possibility, and, you know, anything can happen with these rumors flying at this time of the year. You know, with Lance Lynn connected to the Royals, the Royals have got a pretty darn good first baseman in Eric Hosmer, and, you know, there's been some rumors about him moving around, you know, in the past couple of years. I haven't seen too many, in you know, in recent weeks. The Royals are a team that it looks like they could you know, have a shot at the postseason. They are under 500, but the American League Central is probably even worse than the National League Central. You know, the Royals are only two games out and they're under 500. But, you know, if Car- if Carpenter goes, then you've got a Voigt at first base. I know that uh, Luke Voigt has been has been good. I just don't know how, how much of a, you know, future option he is for the Cardinals. But, you know, just the point is, just because, just if the Cardinals aren't going to make a run at the postseason doesn't mean they can't set themselves up well for you know next season even it doesn't have to be a complete rebuild where you know it takes a few years before we expect them to compete again and you know setting yourself up for next season could mean bringing in a major league piece and i think that that's where we could possibly see yellich become more valuable than ozuna or stan um, because he's going to have that cheaper contract that you get for a few years and then you get another outfield piece right there that's major league ready to start off with All right, well, we're going to hop into our last break. But before we do, Trevor, I just want to say that Tito is ridiculed for good reason. We just need to make sure that that's known. Uh, We're going to take our last break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the pitching staff and have some rapid-fire questions for you guys. Stick with us. All right, and we're back. Let's get back to the pitching staff. We talked about Lynn. We've talked a little bit about Waka. Let's talk about Adam Wainwright a little bit. Adam Wainwright picked up his 11th win, and is possibly on pace for 20 wins. With his pitching this year overall, is it time to just give up on win-loss as a useful stat? I No, because the wins are, are important because the wins matter to the team overall more than anything. For Wainwright, yes, I think. Um, it Just because on the season, he might – have the most wins on the team, but for the season he has a 5.08 ERA, a 1.49 WHIP, and I believe the least amount of quality starts with seven. So he's it could be a matter of luck where he's just getting the you know the offensive uh, the offensive backing, but it, his stats just aren't there like you think they would be with the pace that he's on. 
So while the win is an important stat because it met, you know, the pitcher getting the win means the team won. When you're pitching like Wainwright is, it's hard to look at the stat and think, yeah, it, it matters because law of averages says it's he's gonna it's gonna even out. Unfortunately, you'd love to see him keep climbing and get to twenty, um, but law of averages says it's not gonna keep going, and so that's that's where the the win loss record kind of loses its value. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, as far as Adam Wainwright is concerned, I don't think the eleven wins means much as as an indicator of how he's pitched this year. Um, the thing that you will hear guys who are who are an apologist or are apologists of the win loss statistic is that there should be something to be said about a starting pitcher going deep in a game and giving his giving his team a chance to win. You always hear that that line of reasoning as to why the win statistic isn't completely obsolete. The thing is for Wainwright, he hasn't really been going deep in the game, yet he still keeps racking up the wins because he's pitching at least five innings. So I think that almost weakens the case even more for why, you know, the wins are a good indicator of Wainwright's performance this season. Um, the thing is, out of all the Cardinals on the pitching staff, I think Wainwright is the guy that would pride himself the most on getting to 20. He's done it in the past. And, um, you know, if he gets the 20, good on him. But he hasn't pitched. I, I don't think that should, um, you know, overshadow the fact that he just hasn't pitched as well as he has in, in years past. And, you know, going five innings, you know, is enough to get the victory and the run support is enough to get the victory. But if Wainwright's going to ever return to, you know, near the pitcher he once was, he's going to have to pitch better regardless of if he's getting the win or not. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Mike Leake. He had what I would call an abysmal performance last night. Um, afterwards, it was mentioned that he was feeling kind of weak. Does this concern you guys going forward with him, and how do you think the team should handle it? Let's go with you, Trevor. Well, it it certainly was a, a bad performance. I mean, you can't really say anything else about it. I think he gave up, uh, what was it, 17 hits, something like that. So, um, he says, it was 10, he, he but says he feels still pretty bad. In two was innings. it I, 10, I, but still um, pretty but, bad in two innings? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you're right. I was looking across a couple starts, but he, uh, you know, if he says he's not feeling good, that's not a good sign. But if he, you know, for whatever reason, gets a little bit more rest, maybe you skip his start one time, put a spot starter in, um, and he comes back, he's been having a good year. Uh, so I don't know how much it worries me until it becomes a consistent issue. I know he hasn't looked that great, but, you know, he he was looking good beforehand. So it's kind of a, a fluid thing of he might need just need to rest his shoulder, which would be weird coming off an all-star break, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, the shoulder fatigue is something to keep an eye on moving forward, obviously, with any starting pitcher. Um, you know, it makes sense because he had a great month of April with a you know, 135 ERA. In May, he has a 309 ERA. In June, he had a 430 ERA. And so far in July, in three starts, the ERA is 7.59. So we just seen kind of a gradual decline in Mike Leake's performance. You know, overall, the stat line still looks decent, but I, a lot of that is obviously because of his hot start to the season. You know, two of his three last, two of his last three starts haven't gone beyond five innings. His last start in the month of June against the Nationals, he went eight innings and gave up one run. But aside from that, all of his starts 
in um, in June and July, he hasn't gone into the sub pitched into the seventh inning, something he was doing with more frequency in, in the months of April and May. Um, so maybe the fatigue is something to keep an eye on. And Mike Leake, unfortunately, unfortunately, it looks like he's kind of just reverting to the 2016 form where he had an underwhelming debut um, in his first year with the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, guys, sticking with the pitching staff a little bit longer, let's play pretend a little here. If this team miraculously found itself in a playoff series tomorrow and you had to make up a four-man rotation, who do you want in that rotation and in what order? Nathan? Well, I'm going Carlos Martinez, number one. I think he's up, he's been the best starting pitcher over the course of the first four months of the season. He had that all, that opening day start, which is a big you know, notch on the belt for any starting pitcher, and he had the all-star appearance. I think starting game one of a playoff series would just, you know, continue that, that growing resume for Carlos. Um, there's there's some uncertainty after after Carlos Martinez. Mike Leake, statistically, as we said, has had an okay year, but if we're talking tomorrow, based off of, you know, previous based off of performances in the previous, you know, just handful of weeks, I think Number two, I would probably go Lance Lynn. You know, that's obviously assuming he's still on the Cardinals if, you know, if they were in a playoff series come October. Um, number three, I would probably go Michael Waka just because of his resurgence this year. Um, obviously good to see him have a um, good handful of starts, you know, in the past month as we discussed. And then as far as your number four goes, it would be up to, you know, it'd be between Adam Wainwright and Mike Leake. Um, Adam Wainwright does have the respect of Mike Messini as a veteran. There would be no way that Messini would skip over Wainwright in a playoff series. Um, but I don't think, as it stands right now, given recent performances, you really have a good option between those two. I would just say Wainwright because he's been on that stage a little bit more than Leake. Leake has started in postseason games in the past, but Wainwright, you know, has, has started more. He's been there more, and you know, maybe he could, you know, bring it together for the for the spotlight if that if that situation were to were to um, unfold tomorrow, as you said. Yeah, my uh, my four man rotation looks pretty much similar. Um, obviously, Carmart's number one, uh, Lynn number two, Team ERA leader, but uh, you still trust Carmart to to start the. Uh, the first game of the series, but for uh, for the number three pitcher, I actually have Adam Wainwright. Um, as much as I just talked down about his win loss record and his stats, he is finding a way to win games. And if you're, you know, if the Cardinals miraculously make a series like that, you're going to want somebody to win, especially in that third game, maybe. So um, I think Wainwright would would slide in nicely there. And then my number four is Waka, um, just because of his resurgence, and, and then that, that leaves Leak off, but. Um, I think the big thing would would be setting that order um, and and making sure you find the right the right balance. And I think that uh, Wayno number three and Win number two works out the best. So something we like to do uh, in all our podcasts, National League power rankings. Give me your top five today, uh, Trevor. Number one is the Dodgers. They won eleven straight. They're first place in the NL West. That's that's. I mean, that's got to be a pretty hands-down decision. Um, Nationals, number two, seven and three over their last ten, first place in the NL East. Uh, number three, I have the Cubs. They're in second in the Central, but 
they're they're starting to play like we expected the Cubs to all along. And when they do that, that is a, a dangerous lineup. And especially with the addition of Jose Quintana bolstering their starting rotation, they're starting to look like more of the real deal. Uh, number four, I actually have the Rockies, who are in third place in the NL West. Um, they're six and four over their last ten. Uh, they've just you know they they put together a solid a solid week or so. And then number five is the team right above the Rockies in the division. I got the Diamondbacks. They're not playing well as of late, three and seven in their last ten. But they did just add JD Martinez. The back, uh, you know, the backside to that is JD Martinez in his second at bat took a uh, fastball off his hand, but the X-rays came back negative, so he should be back in the lineup here in a few days. But and you get that lineup of of Goldschmidt, JD Martinez, and and Jake Lamb. That's a lot of power. So you got to think that they're going to turn it around a little bit here. Yeah, so for me, the Dodgers are obviously number one. How can they not be? As Trevor mentioned, 11 straight victories. Their winning percentage is nearly 700, which is just off the charts. Uh, number two is the Nationals. They're, they've pretty much separated themselves in the in the National League East. They've uh, improved that bullpen uh, by getting Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle from Oakland, so that'll make them even better because their bullpen was actually among you know, the league's worst, and they're still you know sitting here 20 games over 500. So I expect the Nationals just to get even better as long as that, you know, offense and pitching rotation stays healthy. Uh, number three, I actually have the Rockies uh, because they've picked it up, you know, here after the All-Star break. They kind of did slip in the months of June and July, 11 games out from the West now. But, you know, obviously a lot of that is due to just how good the Dodgers are playing. Number four, I've got Arizona. You know, they're tied for second with the Rockies. Uh, and then number five, I've got the Cubs, um, you know, be, just because they've had – a good start to the second half. Um, I don't want to discount what the Brewers have done, though, because were you to ask me last week, I would have the Brewers at number five. And, you know, they in the at the All-Star break, the Brewers are five and a half, you know, ahead of St. Louis and Chicago. Now they're only one ahead of the Cubs. But I think the Brewers, you know, I wonder how long they're going to stick around. You know, what they do at the trade deadline might kind of help them to keep their heads above water and have a shot at the playoffs, you know, for, for longer than we, you know, expected moving forward. But, you know, I'm not ready to give up on the Brewers yet as far as being a legit contender in the National League Central. You know, just really quick, if you want to keep up on on Brewers rumors and see what they're going to do, definitely check out reviewingthebrew.com. A little self-promotion there. Oh, man, I hope Dr. Miles doesn't come find you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my... On the Cardinals podcast, yeah. (laughs) Gotta uh, do what you gotta do. My top five basically includes all those all those guys we keep mentioning. You know, the Dodgers, I believe they're thirty and four in their last thirty four. That's incredible. That's crazy. Uh yeah. the Nationals right behind them, they're I'm sure I'm sure the the bullpen help is gonna be big for them going forward. I'm gonna follow that up with the Diamondbacks because of the J D Martinez move. But if the Rockies add a pitcher but which hasn't been rumored as much lately I think that they'll probably jump ahead for me, and I have to agree with the Cubs being five. They've come out hot since the All-Star break, and adding Quintana was a very good move, and they're talking about potentially a Sonny Gray move. That's Those are those are some scary additions, and I don't think that a team in the NL Central outside of the Cubs can – is going to make those types of moves. I don't know that I don't know how serious the Brewers are taking themselves this year if they'll make a move like that. I know they've been rumored a few times, but the Cubs still have prospects and I think that if they want to make another move, they can and then they're going to be that force we saw last year. 
So let's move into the last part of of the podcast. We got about five minutes left. Let's go into some quick rapid fire questions for you guys. Um, first, name a non Marlin you'd like to see this team trade for. Nathan. Uh, Justin Bohr, why not? Oh, you said uh, yeah, a non Marlin. I, I thought okay. Wow, I kind of swung. You want to try again, Nathan? Fire. Yeah, I thought you were asking, you know, a guy besides the three we talked about. Um, Non-Marlin, <laughs> I would like to see the Cardinals trade for Will Myers, the first baseman for the for the San Diego Padres. Easy answer, Justin Wilson. I've been harping on him for weeks now. He solidifies the back end of the rotation. All right. Who would you rather see this team, with the team tomorrow, Harrison Bader or Carson Kelly? Trevor? Uh, Carson Kelly, 100%. Carson Kelly as well. If this team were to do a big sell, which seems unlikely still, who would you rather part with, Colton Wong or Matt Carpenter? Matt Carpenter. Matt, Matt Carpenter, you'll get more uh, value out of him. I mean, I think what Wong's would you, a guy you can build around, so, yeah. I, I think that Wong's contract's pretty friendly. That has to help. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to see Carlos, Mar- Carlos Martinez's next hairdo be? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't even have an answer Yikes. for that. <laughs> I, am, I am not a hair aficionado. I'm probably not the guy to go to for that. I actually I didn't really – I wasn't as, you know, as butthurt about the extensions as everyone else was. I kind of liked them. I, I yeah, the hatred no for those for was, a little, was a little much. The hatred was pretty intense. How many games? They look icy. How many games does this team need to win to fire Mike Matheny? Oh Lord, that's a topic I'm, we love at Redbird Rants. Yeah, I would say under 500. And I did tweet out today that the Cardinals finished 82 and 80. And, you know, in the back of my mind, as I was tweeting that, is that's probably just enough to keep Matheny's head over water this off season. Yeah, I'd have to say. Not just just under 500, but you know, somewhat significantly under 500. If they keep playing like they are now, it's it's probably imminent. Yeah, it's 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 a big topic over at Redbird Ranch. There's a lot of animosity. Uh, Dr. Miles would probably do whatever he could to get John Mabry at least out, but he's he's really fired up about Matheny lately. Um, who would you rather have as our editor besides Tito? Your choices are a a log from a tree, a snowman, or Trevor, since he abandoned, abandoned us to go to the brewery. Uh, I resent that. I wrote an article three days ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd have to go. I would snowman. rather. It's... Yeah, I'll say a log from a tree, no hard feelings, Tito or Trevor. Eh, none taken. I'd say the snowman, cause he, <laughs> you know, you can just make the smile on him. He's happy all the time. Stay positive when the Cardinals are losing. All right. Well, we got about 30 seconds left. Is there anything else you guys would like to add? I apologize for my, uh, you know, starting the rapid fire session off so pathetically. I honestly got that you're asking who would I like to see from the Marlins besides the three outfielders that we discussed. So you know what? I do Don't like feel bad more though. I was about to answer D. Gordon. Yeah, yeah, you know what? You guys are fine. Uh, For all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I hope I 
I hope I wasn't too rough in my debut. Trevor and Nathan, you guys were awesome as usual. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yep, thanks.